forever faithful towards me, even when we are not faithful to him. He remains faithful, always providing for me, always. Jehovah Jireh, even when we don't ask, he's providing everything we need for life and for godliness. He's a good father. He is my source, but I also know that he will use his people as a resource. And on behalf of my wife and my family, I want to thank Strong Tower Bible Church for loving on us during Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, the cards, the gifts, the thoughts, uh, it's always good to be thought of. Uh, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Uh, we got some movie passes. We're going to go on a couple of dates. Thank y'all for thinking of us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And it's not too late. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm shifting. I'm shifting to something else. <laughs> something wrong with y'all, man. No, it, it, it's not too late to register for baptism. which will be next Sunday. I love when we do baptisms. And uh, the baptistry will be here in the sanctuary, and we have a, a number of people signed up. And if the Lord is stirring your heart, adult, child, have a talk with one of your children to see if they're ready, if they profess Jesus as Savior, um, let us know this week so that we can prepare for you for next Sunday. It's going to be a glorious time. It's also, uh, we're going to honor our veterans next Sunday as well. So I believe Pastor Jerry has been reaching out to many of you who have served in our armed forces that we may honor you next week as well. Beautiful, beautiful time. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 13? Luke chapter 13. Amen. As you turn into Luke chapter 13, this past Wednesday, history was made when the Houston Astros defeated the Los Angeles Dodgers to become World Series champions, bringing the first baseball championship to the city of Houston. And we have a couple of Houston guests with us today. We've got a couple of people who rooted so much for the Houston Astros that they could be seen wearing hats and shirts, throwback jerseys. Uh, Brother Cocter, I won't call you out, but just faithful to the Houston Astros. And the MVP of the series was a man by the name of George Springer. He hit five home runs, which tied a record for the World Series. He also batted 379 and drove in a host of runs. Uh, but what I love most about this man, George Springer, is that he is a stutterer. He is a stutterer. And he is a true hero to me because he helps children who stutter. And he shares his story of how he grew up with that anxiety of speaking publicly, even sharing about when he got drafted, knowing that he would have to speak publicly with all of the cameras and all of the lights in his face. But he said, you know what? I'm a stutterer. That's who I am. If you can't accept me, that's your fault because I know that I'm accepted by God and the people who love me. And so he goes around and he helps children who stutter. And I am learning that heroes are ordinary people who do super things. Just ordinary people who do super things. And today, I want to introduce you to a hero or a heroine in the pages of Scripture because this lady is going to show all of us how to endure and how to endure with a good attitude, how to endure pain with grace. 
So Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So today, let's talk about she's a daughter of Abraham. She's the daughter of Abraham. Let's pray. Oh, Dad, thank you for recording these stories. We need these stories because we don't know this woman's name, but we can identify somewhat with her pain. There are people, Lord, under the sound of my voice who have had to endure hardship for quite some time. There are people, Lord, who are waiting on you for their change to come and for their prayers to be answered. Lord, we know that endurance is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that your people today would get a word of refreshment, a word of encouragement, that they would not be weary in well-doing. But one way or another, they will reap a harvest, whether in this life or in the life to come. Lord, may we wait on you and be of good courage. May we wait on you and strengthen our hearts in you. Thank you for this lady who shows us how to have endurance. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, asking that you speak. Amen. She's a daughter of Abraham. Verse 10, it says, Now, when he was teaching in one of the synagogues, let me ask this question as a Bible student, as Jonathan led us in worship today, and he said that, we're to study the word to show ourselves approved. And one way we study the word is by asking questions of the word when we read it. So my first question is, what was a synagogue and, and where did they come from? Well, a synagogue literally means a gathering place. And it was a place for the people of God to gather in order to pray, in order to hear the word, and to discuss the word. So it was a gathering place. Well, wait a minute. I thought the people of God gathered at the temple. Yes, they did. But in 586, when the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the Jews were dispersed and led into captivity. And so when they were dispersed around the world and led into captivity, they couldn't get back to Jerusalem, yet alone back to the temple because it had been destroyed. So they would build smaller temples, if you will, gathering spots called synagogues. And this explains why when Paul would go out on his missionary journeys, wherever he would go in the then known world, there would be synagogues there. Because the people of God, the Jews had dispersed because of persecution and even because of disobedience. They had uh, 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 dispersed and where they were, they built these places to gather that they might remember Yahweh that they might remember his word, that they might pray together. So these synagogues were all over the place. And so Jesus comes to this particular synagogue. We're not sure what part of Galilee this is, but he comes. And the reason why they ask him to teach, because the Bible says he was teaching in one of the synagogues. 
And the custom of the day was when a rabbi would be a guest in another town, the people would invite him to speak in the synagogue. So Jesus, being a guest, was given that place of honor to be the one to handle the word of God that morning. So as he goes into the synagogue, which they would do these gatherings on the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the last day of the week for the Jewish people. In their calendar, it was called the Shabbat. In our calendar, it's called Saturday, the last day of the week for them. So they would follow creation week when God created in seven literal days, rather six literal days, and then rested on the seventh. And then he gave an admonishment to the people of God in Genesis as well as later in the law to remember the Sabbath day or Saturday to keep it holy. God rested from the work that he did, and he calls for his creation to rest because rest is just one form of worship, to be still and know that God is God, that he is the one who ultimately brings vegetation out of the ground and not our effort. He is the one who ultimately feeds us and not the work that he even blesses us to do. We must be still and worship. And so Jesus would go into the synagogues on these Sabbath days as an itinerant speaker, and he would teach the word of God. And in verse 11, it says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So in that gathering place where the people of God would come to hear the word, to discuss the word, and to pray. There was a lady there who was not only physically uh, challenged in that moment, but according to Jesus and this text, she was demonically oppressed. So in a gathering place, one of God's houses, the people of God had gathered, and one of those people happened to be attacked, oppressed by an evil spirit. A spirit of infirmity, Luke calls it. And I love Luke because he's a medical doctor. God uses all kinds of people to serve him. And Luke, the medical doctor, when he mentions this, he says it's a spirit of infirmity. Spirit here speaks of an unclean spirit or a demonic spirit. How do I know? Because it's not a capital S in the text, and the capital S Holy Spirit won't give his people infirmities. He'll help them bear infirmities. And so this spirit from hell rested on this woman with an infirmity, and that word infirmity in the Greek language means weakness or sickness or weakness that leads to sickness. And so he rested on her, and the text says that she was bent over, meaning that she had severe curvature of the spine. So this spirit attacked her, and it hit her in her body, and she was bent over for 18 years. So in our sanctuary today, I know that there are people who are hurting. In our gathering space today, I know that there are people who have come in hurting in your body, hurting in your mind, hurting in your soul, and some of us are even oppressed by Satan. We just can't think that only the Holy Spirit and angels are in this place, but there's spiritual warfare going on right now. And the liar has come, and he's feeding minds, and he's flooding our soul with doubt. But that's why the Bible says that when the word goes forth, God uses the word to free his people. So you're in the right place if you're hurting. I'm so glad you came to church today. Because what we learn from this woman is, although she was hurting in her body, she kept on coming into the house of God. She didn't give up on God. She didn't quit on God because she knew God wasn't going to quit on her. And even though she had to bear this thing, and we don't know how she got it, all we know is that she had this demon attached to her. But it didn't stop her from coming into the house of God. 
week after week, Saturday after Saturday. And as she came, she didn't have bitterness in her soul. As she came, she didn't blame God. She trusted God. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And she didn't even have the best leaders covering her, as we'll see in a minute. But she is a hero to us because she shows us how to suffer long how to have long suffering. Man, some of us get tired after 18 minutes of a hard time. After 18 days, maybe even 18 weeks or 18 months, but for this sister, she went through it for 18 years. And she never wondered if God was good. She never wondered if God was fair and just. She trusted in the sovereignty of God even when things didn't make sense to her. Lord, this woman is a hero. She's a hero. And I thank God for godly women, strong women. Because without their example, some of us wouldn't know what a godly person looks like. It's because of a praying mother, a praying grandmother that many of us are in the place we're in today. We saw our moms press on in great adversity. They pressed on day after day, many of them holding one job, two jobs, raising us, and some of them going back to school. Man, thank God for our moms. Thank God for strong women. And I want to take a moment to honor women who have had to endure the horrors of sexual abuse. Ten years ago, activist Tarana Burke founded the Me Too movement. And when she founded it, she founded it particularly for women of color to find solidarity in numbers from being survivors of sexual assault so that they would know that they were not alone. Other people had gone through similar acts of horror. A few weeks ago, the Me Too campaign was reignited when several women in Hollywood came forward revealing they had been sexually violated by one of the Hollywood producers there. And so the hashtag MeToo went viral and people found the courage to bring the things that had been done in darkness to the light. Because when you bring it to the light, you diffuse and you take power out of it. And when you bring it to the light and say, I have survived. I am not what I went through. Matter of fact, I don't look like what I've been through. You're not by yourself. I've been through it as well. Me too. I'm a survivor. And so this thing caught on, and not only did women step up, but men started stepping up too, saying that I was molested. I was abused sexually when I was younger. And so there was solidarity and strength in the numbers. But my question is, why does God a good, loving God allow harmful and painful things like this to happen to people. Why does God let good people get hurt? I don't know. I don't know the mind of God that I should instruct him. But I do trust the sovereignty of God that he is in control and nothing happens without his permission. Not one bird will fall to the ground without God's knowledge and even ordination of it. And so he knows everything I'm going through. He allows whatever I'm going through. And he has a way of using pain to make me stronger. He has a way of using pain to make me look to him and depend on him. Because sometimes we're so busy focusing on other people that God has to allow pain and he has to use pain, put a purpose in pain so that we might know him. And then watch this. He'll redeem the mess, turn it into a message and give you a platform so that the thing that should have killed you didn't kill you. You're still living so that you can go tell somebody else. Let me tell you what God got me through. He uses pain for his glory. And what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8, 28 is still true. For we know that all things work together for good for them who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. I, I don't always understand why he lets it happen. But if we can trust him in the midst of it, he'll get glory out of that thing. 
and what should have killed you won't be able to kill you. You'll have victory over it because of God. You see, this passage today, Strong Tower, is divided by two conjunctions of contrast or two contrasting conjunctions. We see the first one in verse 12 where it says, but when Jesus saw her. So we, we, we hear about the lady's condition. She's got a spirit of infirmity. A demon has attacked her and has attached to her. But when Jesus saw her. But then there's another contrasting conjunction in verse 14 where it says, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. So there are two conjunctions that, are, uh, uh, that lets us know how to interpret this passage well. There is but Jesus and then there is but the synagogue ruler. So let's look at the first one, but Jesus. Because it says in verse 12, but when Jesus saw her. Other people may have overlooked her. Other people may have just passed by her week after week. They got used to seeing this lady with this arthritic spine. They just didn't care for her. But, but, but she kept coming because she knew her heavenly father saw her. But she had no idea when she went to church that Saturday that the heavenly father was going to send his son up in there to see her that day. That's why you don't want to stay home from church when you have the ability to get up and come. Because you don't know how God's going to meet you in the gathering place. I know you see I can meet him at Bedside Baptist and Mattress Methodist and Pillow Pentecostal, but there's something about coming together up in here now. Oh, my, oh, my. So she was seen. Jesus saw her. He didn't overlook her. His eyes were on her. And I want to let you know today that no matter what you are going through, you are not alone. That is a lie from Satan. The Lord sees you. He knows what you can bear, and he's coming your way. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know his eye is on me. Oh, yeah, yeah, he saw her. He was attentive to her. But not only did he see her, the Bible says in verse 12, he called her to him. He saw her, and then he said, honey, come here. Oh, he's a God of intimacy. He wants us to come near him. Oh, my. And even in a crowd like that, the Lord says, no, no, I want to get near to you in the crowd. Let them watch. Matter of fact, they shouldn't be watching. They should be getting close to my father. So when you come to church, don't worry about who's looking at you and don't you look at nobody else. You draw near to him. You have an experience with him in the gathering place. He's a personable God even in public spaces. Draw near, draw near to God. Why? Because if I draw near to God, he will draw near to me and I will be able to resist the devil and he will flee. Intimacy with God will give me power over the enemy. Jesus said, come on here, girl. Oh, I love it when he calls us to himself. He's not only calling you to himself right now, but he also knows your name when he calls you. Again, we don't know her name and I think God does that so we can insert our name. But he not only knows my name, but he knows my pain. So when he says, come here, Chris, I want to minister to you. Will I come to him when he calls or will I resist him when he calls? Because somehow I've allowed my pain to become my identity and I've nursed this thing. And I know if I bring it to him, he's going to want to deal with that spot, that place, that hurt, that thing that causes my heart to ache and break. And I got to trust him that he cares. Come here, Chris. I want to talk to you. Come near me. I like it when uh, uh, Mary was, uh, uh, she was grieving over Lazarus. Her brother had died. And when Jesus showed up, Mary, who's always at the feet of Christ, wasn't in her place. She was grieving. She was feeling sorry for herself because she thought that the Lord had forgotten them. But when Jesus got to town, because he had a plan, he had a sovereign plan that man did not understand. And he told Martha, he said, uh, go get Mary. Tell her to come here. So they go to Mary and they say to Mary, he is calling for you. And when she heard that he was calling for her, she got up out of that grief and she went to Jesus. Oh, he's calling you today. I hope you can hear his voice. 
because after he calls you to come near, he's got a word for you. Because it says he called her to him and said to her. He spoke a word to her. It was a unique word, a specific word for her. And what was that word? Jesus said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He spoke a word to her. God loves to speak a word to us. But to get a word from him, we've got to get close to him. Did you hear that? We keep saying God isn't speaking, but are you drawing near to hear from God? He's got a word for you. He loves to communicate, but do we love to listen? Like my wife told me this past week, I don't know why she told me this, but she said God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. I don't know why she told me that, but we need to have our ears open. Because he's talking, he's got a word tailor-made for us. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in this case, strong tower, don't run off too fast on me with this. He said, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He pronounced her healing before he performed her healing. Because the next verse, he's going to touch it, and that thing going to leave. But before he touches her, he pronounces what he's going to do. And sometimes it's good to operate by faith. I said sometimes. Sometimes we got to pronounce it knowing that God is going to perform it. Again, I say be careful now because we can go around naming and claiming stuff that the Lord hasn't called us to name and claim. But some of us are so conservative, we're afraid to name stuff that God puts in our spirit to name. If God is pronouncing something to me, I need to pronounce it too. Remember when David went to fight Goliath? Everybody is scared. Nobody wants to go out. But David went out there and he said to that devil, that nine foot nine Goliath devil, he said, today I'm going to take your head off your shoulders and deliver your body to the birds. He pronounced it before he performed it. And every now and then we need to have that kind of faith when God puts it in your spirit to do it. So, 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 you know, don't lie on God. Talking about, yeah, he told me you're supposed to be my wife. I'm going to leave that alone and I'm going to keep going. I dropped that off for free. That was for free. Don't worry about it. But then he touched a strong tower. He touched her in verse 13. He immediately laid his hands on her. He, his touch was caring. His touch was affirming. His touch was gentle, ladies, and his touch was non-sexual and non-threatening. Won't he touch you like that? Lord, I need a touch. Would you touch my soul? And the Bible says when he touched her in verse 13, immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. I love the word immediately because every now and then God will do some things immediately. And when he healed her, he did not ask for money when he healed her. I wish I could chase that one for a minute. He didn't ask her, oh, just lift your hands, just lift your hands, just lift your hands. He put his hands on her, and immediately she was healed. And that bent over back had to straighten up because the Lord healed her. Can I read from Psalm 145, verse 14? The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. She was bowed down, but the Lord raised her up. And then the passage said she glorified God. Now, it doesn't tell us how she glorified God, but I have a thought that after she got her back straight, them hands went up. She started clapping. She started dancing. She started shouting. Just think about it. If you had been down for 18 years and then all of a sudden you get stood up in a second, you better give God some praise. And she started glorifying God right there. And I love Jesus because whenever anybody would start glorifying God in his presence or glorifying him particularly, he would not resist their praise because he knew that he was God in the flesh and worthy of praise. But when people would fall down in front of angels, uh, uh, the angels say, now, don't do it. Don't worship me. Worship God. Jesus never told anybody to do that. Don't worship me. Worship God because he is God and he received worship. And he enjoyed watching that woman praise him. He knew what she was going through. And he knew there was going to be a divine meeting that day in that synagogue. And she was set free. 
18 years of misery melted away with one encounter with Jesus. 18 years of being judged melted away by being in the presence of Jesus. 18 years of being bent over, 18 years of being scrutinized and ostracized. But on this day, Jesus saw her, Jesus called her, Jesus spoke to her, Jesus touched her, and Jesus healed her. It'd be good to close the book and say, that's it. But we got that second but we need to deal with. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. What does that mean? Indignation means that you are angry, you are frustrated over something that just happened. Why is he frustrated while this woman just got healed and while she's praising God? Because for him, God did not fit inside of his box and do things the way he thought God should do it. God blew the box up. Pastor, what do you mean? Let me keep reading. Because Jesus, this guy has indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, now he didn't say this to Jesus because he knew better than that. So he said, let me talk to my flock. There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. So he's got a problem with Jesus healing this woman on the Sabbath day. Now, if you took him aside and interviewed him, he'd say, oh, no, I don't have a problem with the lady getting healed. I just got a problem with the fact that Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. You see, for religious people, laws matter more than people do. He don't care about this woman. He's religious, and all he cares about is the law, and that doesn't allow him to have value in this woman. He could care less about her healing. He cares most about rules, regulations, traditions of men. He's a religious guy. And so he stands up and he has indignation. And what he doesn't know is that he's in greater bondage than she was. Her bondage was physical. His bondage was in his heart and in his mind. But this woman may have been afflicted in her body, but her soul was free. This man was not afflicted in his body, but his soul was bound. Which one is more dangerous? But I got to ask the question before I take my seat. Why did Jesus oftentimes heal people on the Sabbath day? Well, he did that to teach a lesson that people are more important than religion. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said the Sabbath was not, excuse me, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the day was not, we, we're not made for the day. The day is made for us. And Jesus said, in case you get it twisted, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Right. Number two, he performed this miracle on the Sabbath day because in this case, he wanted to teach a lesson that women are more important than animals. Because later he said, now, if you, your animal needs to get watered, you're going to take your animal out to get water. You'll do that on the Sabbath day. But this woman comes on the Sabbath day, this daughter of Abraham, and she gets healed. The problem with the men in that culture, many of them lifted up themselves over women in a way that was not right in the eyes of God. And they misinterpreted the law. When the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet what your neighbor has, and Moses lists the things that a, a neighbor has, you shall not cover, covet his house, his wife, his maidservants, his men servants, or his animals. So these chauvinistic uh, uh, rabbis put women on the level of property like houses and men servants and maidservants and animals. That women were to be owned. They were not to be the rib who lead with you and that you love in a very caring way. So women were put down. So Jesus says, I got to teach y'all a lesson, and I need to let y'all know she is a daughter of Abraham. What that means is she is entitled to the blessings of Abraham just like a man is. I call her a daughter of Abraham because Abraham was a man of faith. She is a woman of faith. That's why when I came to heal her, I didn't ask her about her sins first. Her sins had already been uh, dealt with because she trusted God. So I only had to come and deal with her body. And so she is a daughter of Abraham. And by the way, you ain't nothing but a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is an actor. 
A person who wears a mask so that you think that they are the mask as opposed to the person behind the mask. So the religious people put these masks on like they cared for people, but they really didn't care for people. And Jesus sees behind the mask and he sees into the heart and Jesus called him a hypocrite. You are an actor because watch this. Had you, sir, had an infirmity for 18 years and been bent over every day and I came up in here on the Sabbath to heal you, you wouldn't say to me, sir, uh, Jesus, don't heal me today, heal me tomorrow. I know I've been dealing with this for 18 years, but heal me. We don't do it on the Sabbath day. No, 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 no. If it was you, you'd be like, yes, Lord, heal me today. Whatever day you want to heal me is fine with me. And that's the problem with hypocrites. We don't put ourselves in other people's shoes to understand what they're going through. We judge them without knowing their story or caring about their story. Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. Oh, Jesus called folk out. Lamb and lion. Don't get him started now. He ain't afraid to speak the truth in love. He called them hypocrites. But I got to let you know that not only did he do it because he wanted to come against religion and let men know that women were equal to men, women were equal to men, but he also wanted to remind the people that the Sabbath laws restricted men from working, but not God from working. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working and so am I. But I believe he also did this to intentionally disrupt the status quo as a form of protest against abusive religion. So he said, let, let, let me perform a miracle on the Sabbath day. And there are seven recorded miracles that he does on the Sabbath day that infuriates the Jews, and I believe it's his way of protesting against abusive religion because they say to Jesus, the Sabbath is not the right time to heal these hurting people. Do it on another day. And what it sounds like is when Christians, conservative ones, say, don't y'all kneel on Sunday to protest peacefully police brutality. Do it on another day. Do it on another Why you got to do it on Sunday? Well, the purpose of a protest is to disrupt, disrupt normalcy to get your attention to move you towards change. Why did he heal on the Sabbath day? To disrupt the normalcy of those religious hypocrites. Jesus protested. <laughs> but finally, Strong Tower, he healed her and he affirmed her. He called her a daughter of Abraham. And what he just did to her, when he said that in front of everybody, not only see, did she have this power of endurance, Jesus said, now I'm going to give you the superpower of spiritual identity, whereby you know who you are now. I'm going to remind you who you are, because when you know who you are, it doesn't matter what people say about you, uh, how they come against you. And because now she knows who she is, she can outrun religious hatred. She can leap over religious animosity in a single bound from a single meeting with Jesus because he gave her the power of identity. You're a daughter of Abraham. Strong Tower for the closing minutes today. I've invited a daughter of Jesus, a daughter of Abraham by faith, to come and tell a portion of her story of how God kept her through pain to bring her to a place of freedom. Would you help me welcome Mrs. Tempest Merriweather? Tempest, would you come? right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't stay in them shoes. <laughs> um, thank you, Pastor Chris, for having mm -hmm. me up here. I appreciate it. Um, I was thinking as he asked me, you know, to speak, like, what did I have in common with the lady of infirmity for 18 years? Like, what did I have in common with that? And then it dawned on me, my whole childhood was an infirmity, the whole 18 years. Um, so I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
And I was born with my mom and dad. They were married. But when I was nine years old, they got divorced. And so we were passed around a lot. We kind of stayed with an aunt for a while. And then we lived with my mom. But my mom's new boyfriend, because she was leaving my dad, her new boyfriend was abusive. And so I saw him punching her. I saw him kick her ribs in. He broke some of her ribs. Um, and so we were watching this. So my dad claimed to be getting us out of her house because of that. I think it was a kind of he was mad at her. And so he was just trying to take us away from her. So we ended up kind of going back and forth between my granny and my dad. And eventually my granny was like, well, you got it. Like, you can take care of the kids. So my dad took us completely. And so at about age 13, he started creeping into my bedroom at night. And I didn't know, like, what was going on. And I remember waking up like, is he touching me? Like, what is he doing right now? And so I kept acting like I was asleep. But after a number of times of it happening, I was like, okay, I can't keep acting like I'm asleep. So I wake up, and he just says, turn back over. Like, it don't matter. You know now what's going on. Turn back over. And so from that point on, it continued to escalate. And so I became really withdrawn, um, quit talking to people at school. I didn't have any friends. The guy I dated at the time was like a complete butthead. And so I, I was totally, totally alone. I didn't have anybody. And so <clears throat> eventually that particular boyfriend I was dating, Somehow he got a hold of my mom and told her what was going on because I told him one day mad at him. And so he told my mom, and my mom called me. Um, I had gone over and cousin house. Let me backtrack. I went over a cousin's house because that particular day I had told that boyfriend that if my dad did anything to me again, I'd, I'd tell. And so I told my dad, no, he's making advances. And I'm like, no. So he slaps me, like, to the ground and calls me the B word. And so... I'm crying and I'm like, can I please go to my cousin's house? Like, just let me go. I won't tell nobody else. Like, just let me go. And so, by the grace of God, he let me go. And so it was over this cousin's house that um, my mom called. And she's like, Tempest, is your daddy doing something to you? And I'm like, nah, mama, what you talking about? And she was like, tell me the truth. She was like, I'm coming up there. And so I'm like, okay. So then my aunt called me and was like, Tempest, if anything is going on, you need to tell somebody. So by the time my mom got to the house, um, I went ahead and told her everything that was going on. Now, I had not gone to church. My parents were not into church. My mom said that she just wanted us to pick stuff on our own. So I didn't know God at this time, but I remember asking God to help me um, on one of those many, many nights of what was going on. And so when I was taken out of my dad's house, um, I just kind of forgot all about what God had did. I didn't even think about that. So I went on with my life. My granny was very free. Like she didn't really care what we did. So I was clubbing. I was staying out till four o'clock in the morning and she would ask me, what time you come in? And I say 12. And she wouldn't even ask, like, really, where were you? And so by the time I got to college, like, everybody else was ready to turn up. And I had already been turning up for several years, so I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really into that. And so, but I was going to some of the parties and stuff like that. And this group of girls that I was hanging with were very, very mean. But one of them ended up saying I could spend the night with her. Um, over the weekend. So I was going to go to her house and she was like, oh, but we go to church. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess I could just go on to church with y'all or whatever. Um, and so that weekend, um, we were on our way to Buffalo Wild Wings and she, they get to talking about going to hell. I don't even know how this conversation came up, but we started talking about going to hell and then they went on to the next conversation. And so I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm like, Everything I'm doing right now, if I don't get this together, I'm going to hell. So I look up in the sky, and I'm like, God, if it's anything you can do with my life, take it. Because I know that there's nothing that I can do for myself. And so, and he did. So the next day was Sunday. We went to church. I hit the door like I cannot stop crying. I cried through the worship service. I cried through the, um, the message. I cried through all of it. And then they have the altar call, and I run for the altar. And so I get into the car afterwards, and, like, I can feel this level of peace 
that I had never felt before in my life. And I just remember God, yes, I remember God being there. And after that, I lost everything. I lost my friends. I lost my boyfriend at the time because I was wanting to get my life right and everybody else didn't. And so I was just, I was like, well, everybody's just going to be gone then. And I started reading my Bible. I didn't understand that everybody else didn't want to read their Bible. I was excited. I was like, well, thank you, Lord, because I didn't know how to live my life. My mom has been gone since I'm nine. My dad's been abusing me. My granny don't care. You know, it's like nobody was teaching me anything. So I had to learn everything on my own. So to have the word there in front of me saying, no, you can do this and don't do that. And this is what will get you blessed and this is what won't. Like that was a blessing to my life. So one of the things that I asked God after that whole situation and getting through college and marrying Eric and everything, stuff started coming up um, because I realized I had trust issues and things like that. So I remember asking God, like, God, why did that happen? Like, why would you allow that to happen to me? And so the scripture that popped up in my head was the ones with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they're standing out in front of the, they're, they're about to be thrown into the fire, and the fire is so hot, the guards even got fired up. And so they throw them in, and they see a fourth man in there. And that fourth man, once they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. And so that's what God was telling me. I let you go through all of that stuff, but you're going to come out of this, and you ain't going to even smell like smoke. You won't, you not... You're not going to look like what you've been through, and you're not, you're not going to feel any of that pain no more. You're going to be let go. You're going to be set free, and everybody going to even be able to tell you've been through all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So praise God. So I just wanted to, to tell everybody else, number one, um, the lady with the 18 years of infirmity, one of the things that stuck with me, and I started crying in my seat because it said he saw her. And I kept hearing he saw her. And God saw me. I wasn't going to church. I, would, I, didn't, I, I prayed to God at one time. It was like, get me out of this. Nothing. I didn't have anything else there. And God found me in the backseat of a car on my way to Buffalo Wild Wings and said, I'll take you. You'll be mine. And from here on out, I'm a therapist now. And I lead other people out of abuse. <laughs> and I got two beautiful children that will never experience that because me and my husband are protective over them. We pray over them. And I know for sure, for sure, that God is real and he will heal you. He will free you. He will do anything it is that you need him to do in your life. No matter how many years it's been, it does not matter how many years, he will do it. So, that's it. give you beauty for ashes. And he'll use the hurt when he heals you to help other people out. Is there anyone here today who can say in God's house surrounded by people who love you so that this stronghold can be broken. You don't have to carry the shame anymore. As the women have written, me too. Is there someone who can say, Pastor Chris, I went through something hard like that, similar? But I'm here today and I know with a purpose and God is healing me. And I'm going to stand right now as a testimony 
for what he's doing in my life. Does anyone have a similar testimony where you can stand in God's house right now and say, me too, 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 me too. Would everyone please stand and touch these sisters? Put your hands on them. And there may be even a man who can say, something happened to me that wasn't supposed to have happened. Father, today we thank you that we can be in the gathering place not the synagogue but your church your house where there is healing here because you are here we don't always understand why we go through what we go through but Lord you're good and you use this stuff to point people to Jesus and to let hurting people know that there is hope for them you thought that tempest was strong enough to bear it. And you used all of that not only to bring her to you, but now, Lord, she's helping people. People in her job who need counseling, people through her ministry with her husband, in marriage, you're using her. And we just say, thank you, God. And the same is true for every trophy of grace that's standing today that had the courage to say, you know what, it happened to me. But I know that Jesus saw me, he's drawn me in, he's healed me, and he's sending me out. Oh Lord, keep ministering your healing power to your daughters, to your sons. Thank you, Lord that generational curses have been broken. That what happened to us will not happen to our children. Thank you for a renewed heart and a renewed mind. Thank you, Lord. That our wounds are not our identity. Our identity is the one who was wounded for us. We just say thank you, Jesus, for being such a caring, loving, intimate, personal God. Now may the Lord bless you and cause his face to shine upon you. May you be blessed in the city, blessed in the fields, blessed wherever you go. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a praise.